the ideas, the leaders, the lives that are shaping Denmark and the world. From Blocks Hub in Copenhagen, Denmark, this is Global Denmark. Welcome back to the Global Denmark podcast, where we explore how thought leaders and innovators are working to create a better Denmark and a better world. Well, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Sina Bering Nielsen. Now, Sina has a law background. She studied political science and worked with the European Commission. She's also been involved with the Organization for African Unity and is a diplomat for Denmark for over 20 years, both in India, China, and Israel, where she was deputy ambassador for four years, ending in 2018. Sina owns her own consultancy called The Coaching Room, which deals with coaching leaders and internationals on diversity issues. Sina is furthermore a psychotherapist with a focus on business and diversity. Alongside her consultancy, she is conducting a research project with partners on how to onboard internationals better in Danish SMEs. This project, in concert with the University of Copenhagen, Talented, Copenhagen Capacity, and the Confederation of Danish Industries, is quite interesting and one of the issues that we discuss in our podcast. So let's hop in now, where Sina and I discuss talent management, what are keys to attracting and retaining talent in Denmark, especially for SMEs, what are situational factors, organizational factors, and national cultural issues that we should be mindful of, and much more. Without further ado, I give you Sina Bjørn Nielsen. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks, Thomas, and thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I really appreciate oh. it. Well, I think uh, we can dive right in here. And uh, perhaps you could uh, start off by saying a little bit about your unique background and what projects that you're currently focused on. Sure. My background in, in diplomacy is really putting me, let's say, in between the, the traditional business coaches uh, working with leadership and uh, maybe the consultancies working with the public and private sector and that I have a feeling of uh, being a little bit on the outside of Denmark while being very Danish. And sometimes that gives me a possibility of going in and working with partners that uh, see that as a, as a plus. So right now, a lot of my coach clients are internationals. Some of them are Danes, but having uh, working with internationals themselves, and some of them are just uh, internationals working around the world, uh, leading teams that are cross-cultural. But a part of my work is also uh, in research. I, I have great partners that are uh, working with me on a, on a research project that uh, got funded by the Innovation Fund, uh, which is a big public fund in Denmark, mm -hmm. where we, uh, over three years, are looking at how small, uh, medium-sized Danish companies get better at onboarding internationals. Yes. This was something that we came up with a couple of years ago. Uh, Claire Maxwell, who is a sociology professor at the University of Copenhagen, herself an expat, and, uh, and me, we started thinking of uh, this, and it, it grew with really great partners, Puliman Lutra, who's, uh, who's working with CBS and also an independent consultant, but also Danish Industries and, and Copenhagen Capacity and other great partners. And, and we're really looking at how do we ensure that these internationals who come here, that they arrive well and are happy and contribute to the max 
<laughs> to the Danish companies. We we really uh, would like to contribute to that. Well, that sounds like a very exciting project that uh, you're part of there. And, you know, you kind of described your own personal background that you're kind of an insider who's been on the outside. Think about mm-hmm. yourself as a Dane out in the world. Why do you think that talent management is a key issue globally, but also here in Denmark in 2021? Why would a... Um, a fund like Innovation Fund want to invest in such a project? I believe they were, or they said they uh, were attracted to it because we are really focused on making a difference in reality on the ground. So how do we actually um, add insights to everyday life of people in companies trying to retain uh, and, and attract the great uh, talent that's out there. And I think this is important because we, as you know, uh, we say that it's a VUCA world we're living in, right? Lots of volatility, what, lots of uncertainty, huge complexities, huge ambiguity. And that was even before Corona. And now Corona and all the insights that have come with Corona are on top of that and having kind of exploded this whole world of talent, because um, how do we as organizations, as leaders, how do we see the needs of the younger generations, the people who are uh, maybe resigning? We're talking about it, particularly in the US and some Western countries, we're calling it the great resignation. Yeah. 4.4 million people left in September the job market in, in, in the US and change jobs. Um, so this is these are huge numbers. So the, in this complexity, I believe that also from the public sphere in Denmark, so from the Innovation Fund, they're looking at how do we help companies do this in the best way possible? And there are many answers, of course. Uh, so we're just looking at some of them. Yeah. Well, um, in terms of what you're witnessing out in the field, Uh, Maybe you could say a couple words about some early observations in terms of describing people strategies and some of the kind of keys to attracting and retaining talent so far. Sure. Uh, I'd be happy to. Danish companies are, I believe, in many ways uh, in the forefront uh, in the world. They are, to a large extent, very conscious about their employees. We have a great tradition in Denmark of of listening to our employees and, and engaging them. So uh, to, in many ways, we should be very well uh, situated in, in, in attracting and retaining talent. And still there are challenges. Um, what we see is that uh, many working in HR feel that they are a little bit isolated still on the talent uh, attraction and retaining. There is not quite yet uh, within uh, management an acknowledgement of the challenge, even though they, of course, know of the challenges, but maybe there's a little bit of a lack of understanding what is the role of management in this. And this is also what we hear from the companies that we talk to. Management uh, in Denmark has been used to uh, being flooded with applicants because or applications uh, when jobs were posted. Because this has been the market until uh, just this year, last year. And suddenly the market has changed. Managers now have to retrain their ability to go searching for talent and refine their own role in this. So it sounds like that one of the the parameters that could be improved upon is this kind of vertical alignment between the overall business strategy and the top leadership and the people strategy and what HR is sitting with in terms of their policies. Very much so. Uh, I believe managers and, and leadership in general are underestimating their own impact on talent attraction and retention. We really should talk about retention first and then attraction afterwards, because if you manage okay. to retain 
great talent if you manage to ensure the talent that you already have that they are important uh, to you then that in itself of course can ensure that you don't have to attract as many but it can also have a knock-on effect on your the way that that they talk about you out in the world and the way that uh, what's talked about on social media which in itself is, is very important i hear and what we see out in the field is that inclusion particularly of course of of internationals but it can also be of women in male dominated fields or the or vice versa uh, it can be of people of minorities inclusion has a knock on effect on effect on all of us in the workplace so when managers manage to indicate that they see it as a priority in their company to include talent and and look at the diversity of all of us personality age gender nationality this is something that makes us all also the uh, norm whatever the people who are within the norm um feel comfortable in the workplace and feel like we want to stay it's about empowerment and really feeling valued and this this feeling of belonging too so it's so you're saying that there's these psychological factors that are key for talent retention very much uh, not just about the compensation so. and benefits scheme but it's also no. about well-being and the kind of psychological impact it's uh, and you hit down something that we uh, often talk about that uh, maybe we should particularly for example with nurses in Denmark right now we should pay them more and and that will retain them in hospitals where there's a critical uh, lack of nurses at the moment mm-hmm. um research through many many years have shown that compensation is really not generally what's working for us as human beings um which is a little bit of a shame because it would make <laughs> hr's lives so much easier uh, if we could pay our way uh, out of this and the same with leadership but there's there's a lot that points towards the fact particularly now particularly after corona particularly with with the buka world we're living in that uh, something as simple and complex as the culture of a workplace is of very very strong determinant of whether they are able to attract and retain talent and uh, we know the old uh, saying of uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast you you mentioned mm-hmm. strategy before we can have the most beautiful strategy of growing with 50% this year and 100% next year but if you don't manage to uh, get the talent you have to uh, deliver on those promises or if you do not have the capacity to attract the talent that's needed in order to 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 implement that goal then you won't succeed right so you so your culture needs to be aligned with what you wish to do okay let's unpack uh, this uh, a little bit so yeah um, yes please you're you're kind of identifying three situational factors that i think are interesting here we have national culture and its impact on creating this atmosphere of inclusion mm-hmm. with the diversity you're talking about organizational culture and also there's this um a difference in size if we look at SMEs versus larger corporations what what do you feel from a let's start with the national cultural situational factor um what do you feel is um particularly challenging in terms of this uh creating this kind of incubation of inclusion here in Denmark uh in terms of attracting your retaining talent In Denmark there has not been a large influx of immigrants as compared to Australia, the US, Canada, other countries. So for us our culture is not quite used to integrating people of a different stripe. This 
uh, means that many of us, also people in leadership, are unused to looking at our own culture from the outside. So simply this changing the perspective, looking at who we are and what our culture means to other people is not something that we are very used to. The ironic thing is that that makes us also uh, a lovely place to be <laughs> in, in many ways because Danes are traditionally incredibly trusting. Uh, when we look at the world in general, we are trusting of other people. We are um, very happy to be with others and feel close to them uh, easily once we get to know them. If you look at it from a systemic point of view, from a systemic theory, mm-hmm. uh, we are like a little bubble and the bubble is really hard to penetrate. It's, uh, it's, it's difficult to penetrate, but once you're in, you can feel very happy, right, Thomas? I mean, you yourself have a background mm-hmm. of being yes. an international. You have come from the U.S., but you have uh, managed to penetrate the bubble. Yes. It takes time. And the, it's not everyone who uh, will take the time or who will be in, allowed in, in a way. If you get to a workplace where the, there's no consciousness of this, or if you yourself are not able to say, raise your hand and say, hey, I'd really like to be let in. Would you allow me uh, in a way? Um, so it can be challenging to be a part of Danish culture. And you mentioned large companies and smaller companies. This actually is something that's true to most of Danish companies. And mm. it's not so, unfortunately, that larger companies just know what to do. I thought so, but it really is not. Also, larger companies can be very challenged with the Danish culture because it's such a strong culture, lovely in many ways, and very, very strong, Mm -hmm. uh, which can be a challenge also for the international, uh, big multinational companies moving here, because uh, we Danes, we don't don't like to change very much very fast. I can see that you're alluding to kind of um, what impact it would have on organizational culture is that there's these competing values between flexibility, stability, internally focused, externally focused. And it sounds like that because of the Danish national culture and those tendencies, there would be this kind of tendency towards stability and towards um, more internally based clan-like hierarchical structures. Would would that be an accurate statement of what you're seeing? Yes. And at the same time, I see a number of Danish companies that are embracing the change that we're seeing, that are, let's say, putting down their guard and saying, okay, it's the old culture and the old way is no longer. We have to change. We have to change. We have to look at our own culture internally. So how do we do that? So this just the question from a leadership point of view or the manager's point of view. Ironically, this question posed to the HR saying, HR, you help us or to manage other managers or to employees. This in itself shows strength, Mm -hmm. which is weird, but it's really uh, what we see is that when leadership is acknowledging that we are in this VUCA world, things are changing. There are so many paradoxes out there. Then uh, the employees and HR and diversity people, everyone start getting involved in. So how do we actually want to be in the next version of us? And uh, so there's, if I may uh, talk about kind of these paradoxes we see mm-hmm. that are very, very strong and that need uh, help to the leadership in order to fix them. So there are paradoxes of this shortage of labor, but there's also a number of people, for example, in Denmark that are unemployed Mm -hmm. and have educations that are maybe not quite right, but 
could be invited in, but they're not. Or internationals residing in Denmark, but not able to find jobs in Denmark. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of a paradox. There's also a paradox between the fact that most of us, after Corona or with the experience from Corona, realize that meaning, meaningfulness, is incredibly important for us. We need to know why we're doing what we're doing. We need to feel included. We need to feel relations to other people. And at the same time, there's more what's called pseudo work than ever. So paradoxes like these, there's burnout, and there's much more uh, focus on well-being in in workplaces than ever. There's work on sustainability, also mental sustainability, environmental sustainability. And we also have workplaces that are doing and producing products we don't need. So there are huge paradoxes out there. And leaders know this, and the strongest ones are able to stand with these paradoxes and say, let's do it. Yeah, acknowledging that this is our reality, not uh, getting stuck in denial of the paradigm we're in. In terms of, you know, you you mentioned in the beginning that you're looking specifically at SMEs in this field. Now, uh, I would imagine that SMEs traditionally are, per definition, more flexible than larger corporations um, and thus should be more easily adaptable to be able to meet these paradoxes and changes and talents needs. Um, Is that what you're seeing or do you think that SMEs could learn a lot from traditional human resource management in terms of working with these issues? I do believe that the SMEs are, uh, of course, they have uh, a flexibility that the bigger companies dream about. At the same time, some of the SMEs are uh, stuck to the, the, the founder's culture. So if you have a very strong founder, and this is true in pharma, it could be true in, in IT, some of these companies that are exploding in size and investment, they need to be very careful that their culture develops from the founder culture. Because particularly maybe Danish founders that say, I'm a person who I like everyone and everyone should feel at home here. Of course, that's a lovely statement. And that's a very Danish thing to say that my my company is founded on this, but it cannot carry through to when your company is growing exponentially. So there you have to look at the larger companies and think, okay, how do we actually put this? I like everyone and everyone should feel at home. How do we put that into action when we're 200 people? How do I make sure that the new employees also feel included? And then we go to my, I was a lawyer or had law background. And and there we talked about the fact that justice must not only be done, but also seen to be done. And I just thought about this because it's kind of like the inclusion. Huh? Mm-hmm. It must not only be done. It's not enough that you as a leader, you walk around and you are including in the way you behave, but it also has to be seen to be done. You have to tell everybody about what you're doing so they can adopt the same culture. Otherwise, it doesn't spread. And it, particularly when it's a very large company, you are larger growing. Yeah, it's about action. It's not just about posters on the wall, right? Yes. Okay. Well, this is really interesting. And seeing I'm also mindful of time, we're just doing a uh, nice mini cast here today. Mm. Um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting also to speak with you because you've consulted in a brokerage consultancy like Kobu Local, which is a mm. very diffuse organization. What advice would you give to attracting and retaining talent like yourself um, to brokerages like Kobu Local moving forward? that operate in these different kind of paradigms and traditional workplaces? All of us are searching for meaning. I am uh, very inspired by Viktor Frankl, who wrote a book. Me too. Um, <laughs> yeah, 
uh, in the in the forties after his experiences through uh, Second World War of being in concentration camp, where he wrote uh, a man's search for meaning, and I, and he inspired also the existentialist uh, trade in within uh, psychotherapy and many other things. Uh, Viktor Frankl's point is that when we have meaningfulness in our work and in our lives, we are able to uh, create and uh, work with others, uh, creating incredible things. And I believe this is true. I believe we see it every day. And I also believe that companies are able to attract people like me by showing that working together to create something that's larger than me makes sense. This is what led to the research project uh, I have where uh, we met and felt that we could join forces in something that was meaningful mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, it creates meaning in, in the work I do with other people when we feel that we can do it together with others to do something that's larger than us. So I think Victor Frankl has something very important for us to learn. Completely agree. Um, you know, I think consultants a lot of times people think, okay, they're, they're a one-man band that wants to do their own show. But what you're saying is actually you can gather more meaning through the collaboration with other consultants on a shared project. I myself uh, went into consultancy and working as a coach because it made sense to me to uh, to do what I feel I'm best at. And there wasn't a job for me. Uh, there wasn't anyone saying, uh, Sina, we'd like to give you a job where you are half-time doing leadership coaching to really interesting people. And the other half, you explore being um, consulting with leadership and doing research. Of course, such a job never existed, and I I invented it myself. And as you say, this only makes sense with other people. So I never left the Foreign Service because I wanted to be alone. I I left because I wanted to make an even greater impact in uh, society and managed until now. And I'm very, very grateful that that's possible. But I believe that many of us who are out here having our own companies, we do that simply because we want to do an even greater impact in society, not be alone. Well, I think that's a, a wonderful place to leave it for today. Sina, I really appreciate the work you're doing and uh, your time today. Thanks, and I, I look forward to following the, uh, the project you're working on and uh, we'll have to talk again, I'm sure. And uh, Sina, last thing, is there anywhere where people can read about you or your project? Thanks. My company is called The Coaching Room and uh, they are always welcome to also uh, connect on LinkedIn. I'd be very happy if they would do that. Okay, Sina, take care for now. Thanks. Are you getting the most out of your time in Denmark? Pick up the printed copy of the English language newspaper Copenhagen Post today to access relevant news and event information guaranteed to enhance your working and family life.